Hello, this is Terry Vandermark, also known as Thaddeus Quasar, and I, um, this is the latest episode of Very Tongues of God, episode number five. Um, but before I begin, I'd like to tell you about Jen and Ailey's podcast titled Michigan and Other Mayhem. It's very entertaining. Um, check it out, Michigan and Other Mayhem. You'll really enjoy it. Now let's begin. Mayor Torres was sleeping. He was dreaming. Often while he dreamt, he saw the future. In this dream, he was coming upon a grave. Was it his own grave? No, he did not think so. He had resurrected someone before, once before. That was the worst kept secret ever. Mayor Torres was jostled awake. It was the middle of the night. His horse he was on was kicking and, re and rearing terrifying terrified the three boys were nowhere to be seen off the road to the north the forest was aflame the orange hue of the blaze licking the night sky screams and shouts could be heard what was going on here mayor torres looked around himself yes he was still in the north wood there was no mistaking that but this part of the forest was devoid of villager of villages this much he knew so who was it that was burning trees here? The nearby trees, the eldest special ones, were exuding an oily sap to prevent themselves from catching fire. Taurus knew that not to be a good sign. The forest had chosen to defend the object of this fire. Despite whatever the villagers chose to do with it, it could not bode well that the forest took the opposite side of the villagers. Mayor Taurus could have taken this opportunity to take the horse and race in the opposite direction and go home. But he chose not to. He had to investigate what was happening in, this in his woods. This, after all, presented a greater threat to the golden bridle than anything else. So Mayor Taurus slipped out of the saddle and landed squarely on his feet, careful not to leave the horse untethered. He took the terrified animal by the reins and bound him to the bowl of a nearby tree. He took some fronds in the horse's gear. He entered the forest, approaching the flames. The mayor found himself charmed. There were songs being sung, four separate tunes from four separate persons, four separate strains, one powerful chorus. The mayor emerged upon a newly raised village, a village built around a unique well. Buildings had been erected, the smell of sawdust thick in the air. Freshly hewn buildings without purpose, houses without occupants. This frightened the mayor more than anything. He knew this obvious lack of purpose would ultimately defeat those in position against it. Mayor Torres watched as balls of flame slammed into uh, structures and consumed the wood hungrily. The mayor, his silhouette dancing against a whitewashed house, himself tearing up mustered a ball of flame. He hesitated and let it, sky let it fly skyward. He needed to know more before he took sides. Who was it, the mayor wondered, that looked to destroy this village? Was he or she more dangerous than the one erecting the new village? New villages had been erected in the past. Unlike those that had lasted for centuries, these had the peculiarity of being non-existent one day and present the next. Pissfield Canteen was the latest. 
but the, the but the place had no mayor, no elders, no council. If they had any secrets, these were certainly the best kept. Many young villages suffered the same demise as had errant compass. That this village was burning even before people could come to adapt it was no surprise. Mayor Torres ran in, ran to the center of the village. As he ducked around the corner of one house, he watched as a ball of orange flame crashed into the dwelling, charring his brows and singeing his hair. The mayor barely escaped with his life. From his new vantage point, Mayor Torres was able to see the source of the fireballs. In the center of the village, there hobbled some 1,500 zomb zombies. They stumbled and careened, extending outward, expanding their perimeter, claiming the village for themselves. And in the midst of them all, a white-cloaked figure on a white-stamping steed. Mayor Torres recognized him immediately. Clotus, the wizard that could have taken my life but didn't. Clotus, what had happened? Mayor Torres wondered. Clotus had returned, as he was supposed to do when he when the world was imperiled. He had come upon this village, a village still suffering birth pangs. That alone made it most frightening for the mayor, a village so young that no one, not even Mayor Torres, knew who might live here and what they were capable of. Doubt, more than certainty, served to strengthen the foundation, more than courage. This hostile place, dangerous place, a village other villagers saw as a threat. Mayor Torres saw them, those setting fire to the promising homes, some two dozen villagers, no telling why this village was deemed a threat. There were always secrets, scrolls that emerged in each village upon birth, always the potential of danger and demise in these scrolls. There were always someone's death decreed in these scrolls. This new village was most select on whom it allowed to live there. That more than anything made the village dangerous, deserving of destruction. The undead came menacingly close to the mayor. It was as though they were testing the waters fearlessly. They broke ranks, scrambling away as the mayor approached the wizard. Mayor Taurus turned to see another ball of flame, this one turquoise blue, slamming into a shelter. The building exploded, with debris raining down throughout the village. Clotus spun his steed around, facing the dark forest where the ball of light materialized from. He himself extended his hands until he had cultivated a ball of intense power, power he was ignorant of, power he very rarely made use of. He spoke as he infused the ball with his energy. I told myself not to come here. I fear for my life, but here I am. I saw the flaming comet moving through the constellation of the bear. So saying, he drove the ball of flame into the opposite forest. The light revealed a handful of people from among the different villages throughout the North Wood. Mayor Torres recognized some of some as having come from the Golden Bridal, Mara and Peck Merrill. Mayor Torres could see the fear on Peck Merrill's face. He saw tears streaming down Mara's cheek. One of the villagers stepped out of the forest. Mayor Ched, the mayor of village whistling teapot, a man known for his sound judgment and unwillingness to resort to violence. 
We all know the purpose of this one village, its promise, its intention. This village will be home to the world's worst tyrant, one who in seven years' time will devour this world. The place mo must burn, with only ash and cinders remaining. It is our place, it is our responsibility, to remove this village from the surface of the Abyssin, and to slaughter each and every person who willingly leaves their own village to come here and shield that monster here. Mayor Taurus knew that to be a lie. But was it any less dangerous than any other lie? Or the truth? What was this what this one person maintained could be what everyone understood this village to be. Truth or fiction, no matter. Mayor Taurus blanched. That Mayor Ched said this gave it the necessary credence. He peered past the burning structures. Heads had been severed and thrust on iron spikes. He recognized two of those heads having belonged to two young men from Golden Bridal. These two wanted to believe they were worthy of this place. The villagers could not allow them in, that the builders were unknown, that the persons who instructed them to erect it were unknown. Any one person allowed within was deemed a threat, the one threat the villagers could meet. These children must have died believing they had the people they lived among, hoping that this one place they could live in without grief or shame. Suddenly there came a shout. Like ripples in a pond, the undead buckled and, buck and bolted, snapping and popping, twitching and convulsing. Despite the chaos that served as general over the marching undead, Taurus found a serene order, wall after mute wall, expanding, claiming more and more of the village. The, dead, the undead collapsed in view of the child that entered boldly and unseen from the opposite side of the village, the teen Celeste. Behind her stood the three alien boys. The, behind her stood the three silent boys from village piss-filled canteen. They recovered, then knelt and bowed low. The wizard spun around on his horse. Who is this? How is it that my army fears this child more than they do me? Gren, one of the frightened, assertive villagers, leveled his own blade. He rushed at the girl, intent on running her through. But the dozens of zombies in front of the girl stood up and positioned their own bodies between the teen and her would-be assassin, a fence of shiny bone and mildewy clothing, and oddly enough, ribcages stuffed with thorny growth. Gren found himself floundering beneath several biting and clawing horrors. There was a fervor in them, a loyalty that not even the grave could defeat, and it looked like they would rip him apart. They tore away loose limbs and snapped hollow bones to get to him. Please, unnamed God, have mercy. Please, I pray, stop. This time the zombies, close, close to tearing Gren apart, responded. They backed away, and those who were not as quick found their fellow warriors to be unforgiving, pulling them awkwardly, if forcibly, with them. The wizard eyed the child. Who are you supposed to be? Mayor Taurus approached Celeste. I saw you to be peculiar, masked at birth, not a part of our family. You are a person, singular, necessarily so, one all alone.
Celeste extended her hands, such that the gaining sunlight caught the tips of her fingers and caused them to glow like the filaments of a bulb. The one mother is dead. God has died with her. But she could not feed God as much as she could feed men. I could never feed this, that God. I could only feed the, the new. My tit offers wine to suckle God. It is time for this God to be established. I must do as she would not do. We know the truth, insisted Pull. This is this the lie Golden Bridal has perpetrated. That so-called bloody tunic, a souvenir from the wars before heaven. Really? Hardly. Elf Pavan stepped out from behind Celeste. Who are you? The elf professed. There is a new god. We will be his birth. The new awakening. He is known here. He is loved and believed in, if nowhere else, here. Peck, Merrill, and Mira gave out a shout of joy, but also of alarm, upon seeing their elven friend. What a strange occurrence that brings us together tonight. The villagers shook their heads. God is dead. He never was. The crowd walled and hissed, wailed and hissed. The one mother is a fraud. She need be slain. There was uncertainty in the child. Nevertheless, she spoke it as her heart directed her. She might be denied the one mother, but she was someone, but she was someone, not a mare, but someone more. The people here needed the one mother as much as they needed God. Celeste chose not to listen and become the one mother. She announced, God requires this village to live on. God does need this place. What do you say? Are you here to bring God around? Zohar, frightened by the actions his bride had taken, found himself drifting between her and her, his parents. Mayor Kuvre turned to his lieutenant, Gorba, and unwedged his silver crown and placed it on his head. All his life he was convinced God hated him. Now he would force God's hand. He entered the village and approached the girl. What are you doing? asked Gorba. I'm in no position to take this crown from you. I've been in your care for twenty months. Before that, I was a man uh, of many appetites and vices. I have been cleansed only because of your unwillingness to give up on me. The former mayor, having turned over his silver crown, next loosened his belt. The sword, said to be owned by Satan, fell with a clang. All my life, I was uncertain as to whether God lived. I had always sought him. Now, seeing this elf and this child, I'm convinced that he, al that he always was. In their faith, in their courage, I see fate. I see his face. Couvray approached the closest dead denizen. The creature, stupidly surveying his actions, appeared unable to read courage. The former mayor removed his tattered raiment, stinking of the grave, and retching, slid the garment over his shoulders. The former mayor extended his hand. He reached for Celeste's hand, and she tearf tearfully slipped hers in his. Celeste announced, God requires this village. To live on, God does need us. What do you say? The people were now clearly divided between those who understood God 
not to exist, and the, and the handful that wanted and needed him, that Mayor Couvray should forsake his own crown and his own people seemed to have a profound effect on many of the others. Mayor Cobalt shunned his own crown. He shed his clothes and standing naked before the few who had chosen as Mayor Couvray had hugged everyone. With ash, he wrote words on his body. The words were his sins, his crimes, the sources of his self-contempt and shame. There might be a, no God, he said, slapping ash across his torso. I'm certain he wouldn't give up on us if he ain't given up on me. Elder Turrell refused to be among those intent on rubbing him out entirely. God may not be real, but I don't want to live in a world where he cannot exist. May I sleep in the comfort of his bosom. I have only known terror. May I, may I once avoid it. Celeste wanted to tell everyone that she could never be the one mother, but she felt the need to lie to them. If their faith rested on her being the one mother, she would let that be for the time being. Suddenly, Zohar fell to his knees. He implored his betrothed, I must have you, Celeste, I must, exclaimed the teen. She is my betrothed, her and I, we are meant to be. Watch him close, Warren Turrell. He is the greatest threat God faces, should the boy take the one mother away from this place. Cobalt and Kuvray, terif terrified, swiftly intervened. Zohar clawed and kicked at the two men as they held him. You are young, you are arrogant, stressed Cobalt. You have no idea what's at stake. I have some idea what's at stake. My happiness, my future, my own, the only things that matter to me, that should matter to, to us both. Celeste allowed his, her eyes to stray, but eventually her gaze landed on Zohar. That concession provoked Zohar into a frenzy. Celeste shuddered. She wanted what he wanted. She wanted a modest home and a family with an overview of the sea. I'm so weak, confessed Celeste. I don't think I can withstand that touch, his touch. The elf parvin conveyed to the girl, you will learn with each person's life you touch, you will know, you will marvel at how much God works through you. Celeste looked into Parvin's eye. Longingly, painstakingly, Parvin responded by winking and smiling. The elf took Celeste's hand tenderly, tugging at the middle finger until her palm was flat. Someone or something danced there, tickling the child, causing her to forget her dire place in there and to laugh. Without a word, she approached Zohar and lifted him to his feet. I was beginning to think I had lost you forever. Celeste pushed him forcibly back. Celeste touched the man's face. Tears welled up in her eyes. What is this? Why are you crying? We will be together, the two of us, for the rest of our lives. Celeste averted her eyes. You do not know who I am. I don't know who I am. Zohar ignored her. We will be married in two weeks' time. The two of us will make our way out of this cursed forest, over the Lukaks, through the east, to the coast, 
We will exchange vows and kisses as the sun rises at dawn over the eternal sea. Celeste shuddered. Her voice broke as she said once more, You do not know who I am. She persisted, despite the grief. Celeste, your Celeste is dead. She died here in your arms. She is among the dead slain here today. That's the truth, said former Mayor Torres, said, stated former Mayor Covray. I own that scroll. No, answered the teen. I killed her. That's what the scroll will say. The scroll bound to my heart. Those who had chosen to side with Celeste fell at her feet. The undead themselves ignored their master and turned and bowed with difficulty before the young teen. For the first time ever since they seemed to know, ever they seemed to know serenity, perhaps the same serenity of angels. Mayor Taurus smiled. Even the dead have not forgotten what it was to be alive and wretched and human. Takmoral stepped forward and commented frankly, I have never been this certain before of my defeat. One mother has defeated us without ever convincing us that what she says is true. There was a shout, a common voice from all the persons within the village. Even Mayor Torres was a part of that one same utterance. Many different voices, many tongues, one utterance. A white dove, bringing the bold dawn before her, took flight. She landed on the teen's shoulder. She expanded her wings. The bronze-tipped feathers appeared to ignite a smelting fire. One shout through the, the one utterance, the varied tongues. Celeste understood that God was alive. Parvin beseeched the one mother. The new God is our father. He brings us two together, man and elf kind. It was why you, one mother, and I were brought together. There will be a new dynasty, a line of kings chosen to reign over the new world by God himself. He reached in his pocket and smiled, a line of kings of elves and men who share the experience of the awakening. Working to compose herself, Celeste pulled Mayor Taurus aside. Her blue eyes twinkling. Truth, my friend, the mayor, is a spell, the most powerful spell. I can use it to defeat the most powerful of foes. But tell me, what is better? Should one be handed the truth, or should he uncover the truth for, on his own? Mayor Taurus frowned. I must admit, the second choice is the better one. Celeste nodded. She paused, then asserted, and tell me this. What is better to demonstrate one's obedience, righteousness or sacrifice? Mayor Taurus grunted, then responded, I would have to say sacrifice is much more the demonstration of one's love and obedience than is righteousness. Celeste smiled demurely. You see, you are very close to the pillar of fire. I have chosen you, Mayor Taurus, to do one thing for me. Are you prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice? Should you do this, I will become the one mother. Mayor Taurus did not know what to, how to answer. He did not know if he wanted to answer. What must I sacrifice, he queried. The mayor marveled as Celeste was anointed with oil by a frightful undead. 
Several undead laid their knotted, fleshless fists on the teen. She wept and smiled as she knelt in their odd company. Mayor Taurus identified the fire in the zombie's eye as belonging to a king that had sought to punish the people of the Northwood a thousand years ago. He asked whether that contempt still burned in him. That is the end of episode five. Um, and episode six, it will be soon incoming. Thank you and goodbye.